Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys today. You know, there's a song we sing every once in a while, and it, it says, uh, it has a little riff to it. It says, no place that I'd rather be than hearing your love, hearing your love. And uh, it's so true. And I, I think of when we get to gather, I, I enjoy so much worshiping God with you and, and coming into his presence. Because I know this about us. I know this about hope. I know that we have a desire and a hunger to say, God, we want to know you more. And we want to open our lives to your word, God, to the work of your Holy Spirit. How many agree with that this morning, that you just want God to, to do something in us, to change us, to transform us, to make us more like him? And that's, that's what his word does. And so I want to encourage you today. I hope you uh, have the word of God with you some way, whether it's on your phone or you're carrying a Bible. And if you would, go ahead and open up to the book of John. In John's gospel, John chapter 21 is where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. And uh, I just want to give you a quick update. Uh, we were praying over last week our, our, our food bank and just asking God to help us to break through in the barriers in this, in this community to give us folks that really in need will come. And we received them. And uh, we've been averaging about two families a week. And this week we fed 11 families on Thursday night, representing almost 45 people. So I think we should give God a praise for that. Amen. And uh, just being faithful to that. Uh, also, just want to point out real quick, because I don't want to freak anybody out. If you walked in, you saw a camera back here. Uh, we, are, uh, we are starting to record our, our, our messages here, our, our services here. Uh, we, just, we believe there's a, a, a group of people that God wants us to reach that cannot make it here on Sundays, and I, I know that. And uh, so you're not on camera, I am, so don't freak out about it, okay? So I'm of the one checking all the buttons and everything, like, am I good? You know, because uh, that would be kind of embarrassing. But anyway... Uh, just want to let you know what that was about. How many like the word tension? That's what I thought. <laughs> it's like stress. You know, it's not, a, it's not a word that we'd go, man, that's a warm and fuzzy word. But you know, honestly, I have learned in my faith journey that I like the word tension. I, I like that because there are a lot of things as we become more like Christ and we walk with him and we study his word and we learn his word that put us into these tensions of which way do I lean? Which way do I go? What is best versus what is good? And we, we see those things in our lives. And yes, they do cause stress, but you know what? Tension sometimes is the very thing we need to lead us to change, to be willing. Is that what we were talking about last week, that aha moment? Not only are we a, an awakened people, but honest with ourselves, but we also are willing to take action and say, God, if there's a change you're trying to work in me, then God, let me do that. And there, you know, some of those tensions are, are lived out every day. It's, it's right versus wrong. It's good, good versus bad, right? Uh, for some, it's, it's career versus family. How I many know there's a tension in that, right? That if you get that one wrong, you got some serious problems in your life. There's diet versus exercise. You can work out till you are sweating like crazy, but you go eat 20 Krispy Kremes later. It does not help you. You understand that, right? But there's a tension in that. Uh, I think one of the greatest tensions we have in, in church is our intentions versus our actions. You know, our, our hearts are in the right place so often, but yet it's hard for us to act out on what our hearts are saying. But either where we find ourselves in these tensions, it, it makes us examine our lives and understand what matters most to us, but more important, what matters most to God. And there's one tension in particular I want to speak about today. It's the one I think I struggle the most with, and yet I, I've learned to embrace it because it makes me, uh, I, I think it makes me more humble in my approach to my father. And that is a, a tension I think, honestly, we all have, just so often we really can't identify it. But it's the tension between, do I, do I love the Lord or do I fear the Lord? 
Do I, do I trust in him or do I stand in awe in him? And how do, I, how do I live in the tension of that? Because quite honestly, the determination and how we approach that has everything to do with our growth and our transformation in Christ. I'll show that to you in the scripture today. So let's pray. Let's let God open our word, open our hearts to the word today. Father, God, we thank you. That Lord, there, there is a life, God, that you have for us, a life that, that you called abundant, Father. God, that, that is real life. God, it's, it's free. It's, it's where we find the joy in the, the Lord that is our strength. It's where we walk in the peace that passes understanding, God. It's where we, where we see miracles take place, God, because our faith aligns with your desires, oh God, and we open ourselves up to you working in us and through us. So Father, today as we open our hearts, we open our minds, God, let your word speak to us. God, let us not leave here the same today. God, I pray this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Amen. You know, there's a danger of only taking parts of Scripture without reading the rest of it. Do you get that? There's a danger in picking a few verses out and making those our, our coffee cup verses without seeing the wholeness of the Scripture. Because when I read the Word of God and I, I look at this tension between fear and love, I, I pick up different things in different places. I can go to Solomon, who was the wisest man that ever lived according to God's Word. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it'll be on the screen, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, he came to this point where he said, look, I've seen it all, done it all, and, and here's the bottom line. He said, now all have been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. Keep His commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. And it puts us in that frame of, yes, okay, there's a duty, there's, a, there's, there's some expectation, there's a commandment to us. But then Jesus, God incarnate, our, <clears throat> our Savior, our, our Heavenly Father who came and walked among us, in Mark's Gospel, Mark 12, 30, when he was saying, here's the bottom line, he said, love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Then he said, there's a second commandment. It's not up here. He said, and that is that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we see this tension, this, this fear God and love God. And, and can we even be commanded to love anything that doesn't always make sense? So the question arises in this tension we live in that says, is my relationship with God based upon fear or based upon love? You see, that's what this whole series is about. We're talking about how do we know the love of God? How do we express it? How do we embrace it? How do, we, how do we see it, and how does God see his love worked out in our lives? We've been, we've been looking at portraits through the scripture of, 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 of stories, people's stories, to help us understand that, uh, that, that, that we're not the only ones that are trying to get that straight. And today's portrait is one I think is going to really help us see this, this tension living out between the fear and the love of God and, and understanding God's great love for us. And it begins with a, a question that none of us really want to hear, and that is, do you love me? You know, that's a dangerous question, isn't it? Because when you're asked by someone that you believe you love and they love you, what it tells you is they're not asking a question for an affirmation. They're making a point that you are doing something that says to them, maybe you do not love them the way you think you do. You see, no matter how you answer that question, no matter whatever you want to say to that, your words fall short because our, your actions have spoken louder to the one who does love you. And it's causing them to come to this place of saying, hey, think about it. Do you really, really love me? And you know, honestly, if we look at our relationships, let's just take it down to our relationships right now. If, if we're in a relationship that's based on love, then our answer is very, very different than it is based on fear. 
You see, if our relationship is driven by fear, oh no, if I, if I answer wrong, they may leave me. Or if I, if I, if I don't do this or I don't do that, or I, I don't tick all the boxes of what they think love is, then our relationship is, is not strong. If we're driven by fear, our answer usually comes in the form of justification. Well, of course I love you. Why would you even ask that? I mean, come on. I don't have to tell you every day. I said that on the wedding day. You know that. Get over it. Of course. How dare you even ask me if I love you? Because there's a fear element of that. There's a an unknown. There's, a, there's an uncertainty to that. But yet if your relationship is based on love, then your answer is not a justification. Your answer leads to restoration because when you love someone and you hear that question, what you're, what you're understanding, because again, there's no fear in this relationship. We are walking together. Your thoughts are, though I may not see it your way, obviously my actions are causing you to doubt something about my love. I love you too much to let you stay there. I love you too much to let you walk in that. So help me understand what you need. Help me understand what can be changed. You see, in our story today, there was a, an apostle, one of the followers of Christ, a disciple. They got asked this question by Jesus himself. But he didn't only get asked the question once. He actually got asked three times. His name was Peter. He was, he was one of the ones that... Uh, early followed Christ and the calling of Jesus of the disciples together. And he was one that was very outspoken. He was one that was very quick to speak. And he, he hadn't read James yet where it says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. He was quick to speak and slow to listen sometimes. And, and Peter would just say things and later have to like clean them up. And to understand the story, so Jesus had walked with his disciples throughout this whole period leading up to him going to Jerusalem to die on the cross for us. And towards the end of his journey with him, he started sharing with him like, hey guys, let me unveil to you what I'm really here for. Yes, I do miracles. Yes, I heal people. Yes, I speak truth. Yes, I am not like our other prophets. But I came here to die on the cross. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. It's going to happen. And all the disciples at that moment, when he started laying out these hard statements, many of the disciples left him, many of the, of the crew around him. But yet those that were closest, the 12, stayed right with him. And, and one day, Peter, when he heard Jesus say this, Jesus said to him, he says, listen, you can't go where I'm going, guys. You, you can't come and, and, and be part of this. Peter said this to him in, in John 13. It'd be on the screen. He said, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. I don't know if you put emotion when you read the word of God, but you all do. Can you hear the, 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 the distress and the, and the pain in those words of Peter? He's like, no, we finally got our Messiah and you're telling us you're going to go die. I, I'll go and lay down my life for you. But Jesus answered him, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. If you know the story, that's exactly what happened. Jesus, when he was going through the trials and going through the persecution leading up to the cross, Peter was put on the spot by, by not people in authority, but by, by handmaidens and servants. And when they'd say, well, you were with him, you know him, he said three times, I don't even know who you're talking about. And he denied him three times. Peter abandoned Jesus at his greatest moment of need after promising to die for him. Peter's fears, his humanity caught up with him. And in the end, when push came to shove in the heat of the moment, he proved that to everybody that he loved his own life more than he loved his friend. When the rooster, rooster, when the rooster crowed, the Bible said Peter was broken. He went away sad. He was distressed. His big moment came. He blew it. But what's interesting to me in the scriptures, when you read the story of Christ, we sometimes focus on the big moments and we miss some of the greatest lessons. 
Because Jesus did something after the cross, after the resurrection, that we've got to understand speaks loudly to us because after his work on the cross was finished, Jesus went looking for love. And he sought it out from the one who had failed him the most. And this is where our text, John 21, verse 15, he comes to where Peter is because Peter had said, you know what? I'm just going to go back and be a fisherman again. All my dreams have been crushed. It's done. It's over. I'm just going to go back and fish. I know how to do that. And Jesus came to them when they were out fishing and they, were, they had a, this miraculous catch and then they came to the shore and, and there Jesus would, had prepared breakfast for them and they were going to eat. And it says in verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. There's that justification. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus had sought out Peter to restore him. Aren't you glad God restores us? So he just sought out Peter not to rebuke him, not to say, what was going on with your mind that day? You were supposed to stand up for me. Come on, man. No, he came to restore him. And in doing so, he asked him two times, do you love me? And he used a specific word when he used that word love. It was a love that, that expressed the greatest love that could be between two people. It was, a, it, was a, it was that perfect love. It was that overwhelming agape love that he was saying, do you love me that way? And Peter was only able to answer him, Lord, I have great affection for you, like a brother. Let's just be friends. And the Bible doesn't tell us why Peter answered that way. I think he was very honest in that moment, I really do. I think in his brokenness, in his, in his humility, I think he was at a place where he could only say, I, I, I used to tell you I loved you that way, but honestly, I think the only way I love you is as a brother, as a friend. His fear of abandonment, his fear of judgments brought him to a place that he couldn't look Jesus in the eye and say, I love you with the same kind of love you have for me. Look, we'd already seen Peter's actions. They didn't line up with his intentions. He said, I'll die for you. I don't even know you. But then Jesus, in his final question, did something very unusual. When he came back the third time and said, Peter, do you love me? He changed his language to bring it down to Peter's level and said, well, then do you really love me as a brother then? And Peter said, well, yes, I do. And what's amazing to me in this story, what's amazing to me in this, in this encounter, this interaction, is it's, it's even more so than Jesus' compassion on Peter, what was his unwavering commitment to who Peter was in the first place. Listen to this. All three times that Jesus spoke to Peter and said, do you love me? He invited Peter to move past his failures and move back into the kingdom service God had called him to in the beginning. Feed my sheep, take care of my flock, feed my lambs. He was bringing him back to say, look, I'm not done with you, Peter. If we, if we read between the lines, the message of Jesus was clear. You're not damaged goods. You, you failed. I get it. You blew it. I, I set you up to... to Fail, I put you there, but you, you didn't make it. But listen, you're not damaged goods. Your failure has not changed anything between us. You are still part of my family, Peter. So do you want that love again? Do you want that relationship? Because I made you and I created you and I know this about you. You're going to feed my sheep. 
You see, Jesus was inviting Peter to move past his failure and experience the depths of love, to tap into the most powerful force in the universe, and that is the love of our God. In other words, to learn to live loved. In this conversation, really, some may look at it incorrectly and say, well, Jesus just wanted something. You know, this conversation was not about getting Peter to do something, okay? It wasn't about getting Peter back in the game. It wasn't about getting Peter to, to do something. It was about Peter experiencing the one thing that could transform his life. I mean, think about it. Jesus could have played to his fears. He could have played to his insecurities, his guilt, and his shame. He could have said to Peter, Peter, did you see what I did on the cross? Dude, you owe me. Now go take care of my sheep. You owe me. Did you see my sacrifice? You know how much that hurt? Come on. Come on, Peter, get off the ground. Go feed my sheep. And sadly, a lot of people that come into Christianity, that's how they see the cross. They see the cross as this act of judgment, and, and the guilt comes over to the point that we read it not as an act of love from God, but as, as this act of, of desperation to say, you owe me now, serve me out of fear for me. But can I tell you, the Father doesn't just seek our obedience, he seeks our affections. He seeks us to know him. He wants us to experience his love. He wants us to experience what he already has. Listen, God can have our obedience and not have our love. Did you know that? Well, I don't want to go to hell. I'm going to obey him. Hello, 1960s Christianity. That's what I grew up in. He can have our obedience but not have our heart. But can I tell you this? If he has your heart, he will always have your obedience. John said earlier, if you love me, you'll, the words of Jesus, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It wasn't a, it wasn't a if then. He was saying, no, if you love me, I don't, I don't worry about it. You will keep my commandments because it flows out of the love relationship we have with each other. Listen, I, this question of Jesus, do you love me? What kind of question is that from God? I mean, what kind of question, what God ever cares about being loved? Feared? Yes. Yes. Obeyed? Yes. But loved? Why, why would he even want that? Picture God for a moment, and in, in, in all of eternity, our Heavenly Father is surrounded by, I don't even say thousands, it's probably beyond numbers we can even count or compare. They're enthroned in the presence of these adoring angels who sing and speak of His goodness, His greatness, His holiness, day after day, moment by moment. He could command obedience simply because He's the most powerful force in the universe, but yet... He seeks our love. He seeks our relationship. He seeks intimacy with us. A little history lesson. Throughout the Old Testament, how many, how many like reading the Old Testament? Let's be honest. If you get past all the like law, maybe. But yet, it gives us pictures, right? It's the story of God. It's the story of God revealing himself to mankind. It's the story of God showing us who he is. And, and really, throughout the Old Testament, God kept identifying himself as a God of love and a God of mercy. When the people never understood it. They, they, they just could not imagine a God that wanted a relationship with them. And the only way mankind seemed to really relate to him was under the threat of judgments. Religion was deep in their core. In fact, this is an interesting fact. If you, if you look at the scripture, the day that Jesus called his disciples to him and they all sat down together was the first time recorded in the Bible that God sat among humans and humans weren't fearful for their lives because they didn't want to be around God in the Old Testament. They didn't want to be around him. You see, 
From the very beginning, in Genesis, our God created us for relationship. He wanted this warmth and tenderness and relationship that's filled with love. That was his plan. That's his desire. We don't understand this, and I, I really can't even explain it. What he wants us to experience is what he already has. Because in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, there is this perfect relationship, this perfect love, this, this warmth, this tenderness. And he says, that's why I created you. I want you to know that. But so many times religion tells us God created us to obey him. God created us to carry out something. God carried us to do something. But God created us to know him. You see, it's much easier to live in a religion than it is in a relationship. It's much easier to be legalistic than it is to be spirit-led. Because it's much easier to say, show me the rules, I'll tick all the boxes, and I'll prove to you that I deserve your love. That's religion. And it puts us in this performance trap that never gets us anywhere because what we're saying is, I'll follow your rules, I'll tick the boxes because I want to survive, but even if I don't want to, I'm still going to do it, God, but I will never be close to you. I'll never trust you. So I ask questions like, do I really have to do that to be saved? What do I have to do to get to heaven? Can I do this and still get to heaven? <laughs> You've never run that gamut, have you? But it's natural because it comes out of that religious heart that says, if you just show me what to do, I'll do it because I really don't want to be close. I just want to be safe. So often we fear judgment more than we desire the challenge of living love of living in the embrace of our father, of walking in the freedom. And when that tension is real, when that tension gets tight, unfortunately, our default is fear. It's easier to fear than to love. But God says there's a better way. God says there's a better way for us. Because you see, the fear of God is not wrong. You, do you know that? The fear of God is not wrong. It's just incomplete. Proverbs 1.7, we get this quote a lot. If I have this discussion, so I'm like, well, you know, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It is. The fear of the God. Go to the next. The fear of God in, in Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And fools despise wisdom and instruction. Notice that word beginning. It's the beginning of wisdom, but it's only the beginning. Love is the end product of that wisdom. Yo, we, we should. In fact, if you don't love God, you ought to fear him. Because <laughs> at least in fearing him, I don't know, maybe it'll keep you from behaviors and choices from destroying you and destroying everybody else around you. Because that's what sin does. And that's why when the Father comes after sin, it's not, it's not he's not trying to prove a point. He's trying to protect us from the outcomes that sin brings in our lives because the wages of sin is what? Death. So if we don't love him, we ought at least fear him because it might actually keep us from destroying. Let me, let me break this down into a personal application. So if your approach to God is all fear, no love. You can say I love him, but yet it'll never be evidenced in loving others. Because that pass-through is what makes us love people the way God wants us to love people. So we say, I fear him, and I, I don't love him. And we hear the question, do you love me? Then our answer is, of course. And here's 10 ways I can prove to you that I love you. I did them all this week. I've proven it. I know that deep inside I'm struggling, I'm fearful, I'm broken. and I, I, I don't, I've done enough that maybe you should give me the benefit of the doubt, but get off my back, God. I'm trying here. See, that's the response of fear. It leads to no relationship. It leads to no transformation. Maybe you're all love. Oh, I know Jesus loves me. This is so because the Bible tells me so. And someone taught me that lesson sometime. 
but yet there's no fear, there's no awe, there's no respect for the holy God. Then we get caught into this place where we say, Lord, I love you, but I've really not recognized yet how much my sinful choices break your heart, God. I really haven't recognized, I'm not sensitive enough to know that being asked, do I love you, causes that separation that, Lord, I know you don't want with me. We miss out on the understanding that lordship is based on trust. So when we're asked, do you love me? The response is, why are you asking? <laughs> I know my actions don't line up with my intentions, but, but you'll get used to it. You'll adapt. Never expect me to change. After all, you said you love me. But then there's that tension. There's that tension of fear and love. There's that tension of respect and love. There's that tension of understanding and in that tension of love and fear, we know how much God loves us, and we're aware how, of how awesome his power and his holiness is, but we're no longer motivated by fear. We live in this place of being led by the Holy Spirit, that when our actions aren't lining up with our intentions, we have this relationship with God's word and with his Holy Spirit, we just gently touches us by his Holy Spirit, and we go, oh, yeah, I'm not trusting you in that area right now. God, help me get back in. God, bring me back. And that's so when we're asked, do you love me? We're able to respond, I really do. I really do love you, and I know I'm so loved by you, but obviously, God, you're aware of areas in my life that say otherwise, so help me. Because, God, I can't change unless you change me. God, I, I can't be transformed unless you transform me. But, Lord, I submit to you because I trust you. You see, it matters how we approach God. It matters how we see him. For in John, in 1 John 4, he, he laid it out in a way that I think is clear for us to understand. 1 John 4, verse 18 and 19 said, There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. But the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Here's the key. For God to transform us, for God to change us into what he created us to be, for God to bring all that renewal and restoration in our lives, to be like him, he must expel fear and teach us the wonder of living loved by him. It's, it's, they're, they're, they're opposites. They, they're, they're polar opposites. They're fear and love. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. You know, before the coming of Christ, the fear of God held our passions in check but it didn't make anybody holy. It didn't make anyone transformed. But in Christ, God wanted to win us over to, to the affection he has for us that we would know that we are truly loved and we would walk in that loving relationship. Let me give you an example. Maybe this will help you. You ever seen this in your view mirror? How'd that make you feel? Already some of y'all are clenching. Oh, but you know what? We, we probably never think when we see that in the rearview mirror, he is for me and not against me. He is out to keep me safe. He's out to get me home in a safe way. He's out to make sure that my, my goodness is, is known because, again, he's looking out for me. But can I tell you, we may maybe think that thought, but yet it'll never endear us to him or her. In fact, the fear of doing something wrong to cause judgment to come in the form of a ticket will make you extra careful whether you're doing anything wrong or not, right? I mean, you're like 10 and 2. I mean, eyes on the road, speed limit right there. You're setting cruise control five miles below the speed limit. Why? Because you know there's judgment in that car also. But here's the reality. From the time he came near you, that's the safest you will ever be in traffic in your life. Because his presence not only makes you come in and behave, but it also affects all those around you. 
But what happens when he pulls off at the exit and you don't see him anymore is your first thought, man, I love that guy. We should be friends. I want a relationship with him. Now, what's your reaction? It's like your adrenaline slows down, right? It's sheer relief. Why? Because his presence made you feel guilty whether you're breaking the law or not. Even though he served you well and protected you, it did not make you want to be his friend. Here's the point. Put this up. The, The motives of conformity do not produce what? Intimacy. I'll conform God, tell me your rules, but it doesn't bring us close. Okay, you said I have to love my neighbor, I'll endure them, but it doesn't bring intimacy. You see, that's where religion gets it so wrong. That's why religion so often gets it backward and why so many people can come week after week to church, hear the truth of the gospel, and remain distant from God and unchanged in their character. Because conformity does not lead to intimacy. You see, we think that conformity to God's ways based upon fear will lead us closer to him, but in fact, the exact opposite takes place. Moses, you go up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, you go talk, and we're staying far, far away because we don't want that. You see, if we focus on our fears and our performance, it only makes God seem more distant from us. It's only by living in the security of God's affection that he is ever able to transform us from the inside out, changing our lives to be more like him. But being motivated by fear will compel us to conform our behavior. But can I tell you, it will not last long at all. There's a purpose in fear. We, we are trained a little bit by it. You're raising kids. Don't touch that. Why? Because it's going to shock the fool out of you. And at some point, all right, go on ahead, touch it. Now you know I love you. Right, okay, same ways. Same ways. It will conform some behavior, but until they really trust you, then they won't challenge it. They'll walk in it because now they know you are for their best. I think this is a a slide. Christianity, yes. Read this one. This is going to set some of y'all free. Christianity is not about behavior modification. (laughs) Jesus didn't die to make us good little boys and girls for Jesus. All right? He died to restore us, to transform us, to make us like him, that we would not only have a relationship here on this earth, but for eternity, we would get to walk in the blessing of his. It's about relationship with a loving God whose love will transform your life. Can somebody say, praise God? Why? Because perfect love drives out fear. And while fear may be the most powerful motive known to man, can I say politics, anybody? They're going to do this. Well, they're going to do that. And everything we have right now is based on fear. You don't buy the car today. It's going to cost you more tomorrow. Fear. It's the most powerful force known to man. But can I tell you, God is more powerful. And his love is more powerful. And there's nothing more critical to your spiritual growth than making this transition. Because the one who fears is not made perfect in his love. And as long as we live in fear and don't grasp his love, we exclude ourselves from the very process of God transforming us from the inside out. To wake up every day and say, God, I am loved by you. God, I want to walk in that love. God, I want to learn that love. I want to live in that love. Because when we allow God's love to lead, something amazing happens. We allow God's love to lead. Then we, we live love. We don't need to fear any longer. We don't need to fear an uncertain future when we live love. Did you know that? I choose to trust an uncertain future to a certain God who loves me and gave himself for me. 
When I live in love and not fear, I don't have to fear the rejection of friends because I have one who sticks closer than a brother who's promised to never leave me nor forsake me, who will be with me always even to the ends of the earth. When I live in love, I don't have to fear God himself because he's not sitting in heaven with thunderbolts in his hand waiting to just blow me up for being stupid in a moment. He loves me enough to let me walk with him, to know him, and to enjoy relationship. Here's a big one. When I walk in love and not fear, I no longer have to pretend to be something I'm not. I no longer have to be an actor. I'm his. And if there are things in me that he is shaping and changing, then I trust him to do that because he wants what's best for me. Do you love me? That's what Jesus was saying on the cross. Do you love me? And he gave us every reason to say, yes, Lord. Because his death on the cross was an absolute act of love for us. Look, if, if we see it, I'm going to teach you on this in a few weeks. If we see the cross only as, as God satisfying his need of judgment, can I tell you? Then we unwittingly empty the cross of its power. We, we take the power away. We strip it away. But the cross showed the power of God's love for us that wants to change us because it was the doorway inviting us to come in. After all, he would not let anything separate us from his love, according to Romans. See, Peter needed to get this. I believe we need to get this. I believe that Peter needed this lesson on Galilee's shore just as much as we need it today in Charlotte, North Carolina. Because at the moment, Peter was honest. He could not answer the way God wanted him to answer. Jesus' question, do you love me with this agape, this amazing love? Peter did not lie. He said, no, I don't. But I do love you as a brother. He was straightforward, he was honest, but you know why? Because he had to learn more of the depth of the power of the cross. Yet even then, the fear of his failures, they got swallowed up by God's love. Go feed my sheep, then you're not done. I'm not done with you. Your failure does not separate us. Let me bring you back into who I created you to be. In the same way, that transforming moment for Peter is the same that God wants to do for us. Because when we get that right, and Peter eventually did get it right. If you, if you read the rest of his story in the Bible, Peter absolutely got it right. I mean, even, even the point of, of dying a horrible death just because he would not deny Christ in that moment. Listen, it, it brings us to that place where that tension is not something that we struggle with anymore. I learned a long time ago. When I focus solely on being holy out of fear for God, I stop loving people. But when I focus solely on just being love and let's just love, 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 I, I forget what it means to be his and to be separate. I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. So it's okay to live in this tension. It's okay to walk in that as long as we recognize that love is the dominant power that God has shown us to change our lives. Today, how you answer, how you answer that same question, do you love me, really either opens or closes the door to the very changes I think deep inside you want to see. How you love me opens the door, closes the door to the very work of the Holy Spirit in you to change you from the inside out. It's why the promises of God who are loving us always draw us nearer instead of repelling us away. One last scripture, and we're going to pray. Romans 8, always love this scripture. Never fully understood it. <laughs> There's a lot of scriptures like that. Romans 8, 15. All right, let's just walk it out. One day you say, God, I, I accept your love. 
And I recognize that my sin has caused this distance because I've never given it to you. And one day I, I, I came to that place where I recognized your love and I said, Father, forgive me. I want you in my life. I want you to be my Lord. I trust you. See, that's what salvation is. We confess something that's here in our hearts. We have faith to believe that what Jesus did on the cross absolutely set us up to receive the Father's love. And we confess it with our mouth. Jesus is Lord. And, and we can't explain it. We can't, you know, we just can't. You're changed in that moment. You're changed forever. Why? Because you've come into alignment with the one who loves you. And finally, the pain of your sin caused you to say, I want something different. So the moment we confess him, the moment we express, express that love for him, the spirit of the living God comes to dwell in us, the Holy Spirit. And the spirit we receive, that's what the scripture speaks about does not make you slaves. God's not up there like, okay, got another one that I can wear out doing ministry. There we go. Let's just drive them into the ground and make life miserable because they got heaven someday. That ought to be good enough. It's not make you slaves. So that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, daughtership, it's a word, isn't it? And by him we cry, Abba, Father. You know what Abba, Father is? Just think, I know this is hard for some of you, because I'm so aware that some did not have a good earthly father. But if you can picture the ultimate earthly father, okay? And you had the opportunity as a child to run into his arms and jump into his lap, what would you call him? Probably not Father. O omnipotent one, most holy, who can strike me dead in a moment, let me express my love to you. No, we'd like daddy. We'd jump into the arms of our father and we'd see in his eyes this incredible love for us and this reflection that would just let us see ourselves differently than we've been. And realize that when the tension and the pain of change comes, it's not just for his pleasure it's for our good because sometimes we don't even realize how badly sin is affecting us until it's removed by the grace and love of Jesus so my prayer for you today is this answer the question do you love him but answer it in understanding the motive behind your answer because today, if it is fear-driven, God wants the love of Christ to drive out that fear in your life. If it is love without any respect, and you're like, well, I'm never changing, but I love you, then you have a problem that you need to settle with God. My prayer is that you're able to say, yes, I love you. And I know I'm not, I'm far from being perfect. I'm far from being what you see. But I trust you enough to work that change in me. Because I'm yours.